Hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm Matthew Wandler for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And the confusion stops here. Great to have you along with us today. Got a lot to talk about, including but not limited to finding joy and spiritual peace in the troublous times of COVID-19 and the true story of one of our great August saints, the true story of St. Lawrence and the Holy Grail. But first, as Catholics, we call God our Father, after the example of the Lord Jesus. And in Scripture, Jesus tells us that God the Father will give us everything we need in this world and eternal life in the next. This is our faith, and this is our hope. O my God, I believe in Thee, because Thou art truth itself, and canst neither deceive nor be deceived. O my God, I trust in Thee, because Thou art kind, merciful, and faithful to Thy promises. Now, we might say those prayers every day, make our act of faith, our act of hope, but, but do we really trust in God? Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. Um, They gather nothing into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O ye little faith? So do not worry and say, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow, Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. Do not worry is a constant theme throughout the Holy Bible. How often does Jesus say, fear not, do not be anxious, be not afraid? In fact, I understand these words or their equivalent appear some 365 times in the sacred scripture. Now that's once for every day of the year. So clearly there is a theme here. And I believe that the reason that the inspired word is so constant in teaching us not to worry is on account of all the ill effects of worry. Worry can damage your health. It can diminish your productivity. It can negatively impact your personal relationships, the way you treat other people. Worst of all, worry can negatively affect your ability to trust in God. And all of these Um, issues, serious issues. They're part and parcel of the many ill effects of the unprecedented and radical government response to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Liquor stores and abortion mills and marijuana dispensaries are considered essential services and have remained in full operation from the beginning. Uh, Rioting apparently is also (laughs) A-OK. But alcohol and drugs and, and killing babies and mob violence hardly inspire hope or peace. Predictably, the result of their continued availability when all else is prohibited is a sharp rise in substance abuse, domestic violence, violent crime, suicide. 
Peace of mind and hope in time of tribulation is the natural province of religion. But while liquor stores and abortion mills and, and marijuana dispensaries remain in full vigor, and rioters can assemble without masks or social distancing or fear of consequence, churches are closed and pastors are persecuted and healthy personal interactions of all kind are heavily restricted or outright forbidden. Now, it's hard not to be anxious in the face of this, you know, quote-unquote new normal of Catholic parishioners being masked and, and physically separated, forbidden to pray out loud or sing or um, being allowed to fill only a fraction of the capacity of their place of worship, or as in the case uh, where I live, you know, to be forced to gather outside the doors of their churches altogether. So what about you? Um, are you experiencing the ill effects of worry? And perhaps I should rephrase the question and ask instead, how many of the ill effects of worry are you experiencing? Because it's natural. It's natural to be concerned about your circumstances, especially given the, the deliberate ambiguity and, and confusion and the frankly dubious motives surrounding many of the restrictions on your personal freedom. But there's a difference between genuine concern and worry. Because concern encourages and concern motivates you to action, whereas worry obstructs and immobilizes. So Jesus' answer to worry in the Sermon on the Mount is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And <clears throat> what does that mean? It means to put God first in your life, to fill your thoughts, your heart, your mind with his desires, his will for your life, which we learned last week is your sanctification. That's St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3. To take Christ as your model, to imitate him, to, to love and serve and obey God in everything the way that he did. Ask yourself, what is really important? Because people and possessions and pastimes and, and goals for the future, all these things compete for priority in your life. And, and even at the best of times, any one of these things might easily nudge God out of first place unless you're actively choosing to put him first in every area of your life, to be constantly seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is to say, growing in holiness. Now, planning for tomorrow can be time well spent, but worrying about tomorrow is time wasted. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. I, you know, planning means thinking ahead about your goals and, and the steps you need to take and your timing, all of the while trusting God and prayerfully seeking his guidance. So done well, planning is actually an antidote for anxiety. But on the other hand, those who give in to worry, uh, they're consumed by fear, and they find it hard to trust in God. And they allow fretting about their plans to get in the way of their relationship with him. And that is why Jesus tells us explicitly, do not let your worries about tomorrow affect your relationship with God today. Now, I suspect you know this. But I also suspect that you may still be feeling anxious. Pardon me. Precisely because many of your goals and pastimes and relationships have largely been put on hold. Uh, put on hold indefinitely and against your will. And you may well be feeling depressed as well as worried. Because you feel powerless to do anything about it. And I'll tell you something right now. I understand. We're going to be talking about finding peace and joy in, in these circumstances. And i got to admit... Uh, that's not always me. You know, I've had all these same feelings. But it's well to remember, I mean, when I was reading over the Sermon on the Mount here, uh, when Jesus first said those words, 
fully two-thirds of the people of his day were enslaved. You know, it was the unquestioned natural state of things that two-thirds of the people of his day had no personal freedom. They didn't, they didn't have goals or make plans or, or have any expectation of a, of a change in their circumstances. But they still experienced fear and uncertainty and worry. So what comfort was there for them in these words of Jesus? It's two-thirds of his potential audience. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your life? Why are you anxious? Do not worry. Your Heavenly Father cares about you and knows what you need. Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that is, pursue sanctification, which is his will for your life, and all these things will be given you besides. But how do you go about seeking the kingdom without your personal freedom? Well, Jesus says in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. And some translations prefer among you. <clears throat> but uh, Jesus says, uh, and this is the contemporary English version, God's kingdom isn't something you can see. It's no use saying, look, here it is, or look, there it is. God's kingdom is here with you. But in context, he's talking about himself. Christ is the kingdom. And he dwells within us spiritually by the grace of the Holy Spirit. He even dwells in us uh, physically when we receive him in Holy Communion. And that's what he was on about when he said, Behold, I shall be with you all days, even unto the end of the world. So whether your church is only allowed 25% capacity or you're reduced to you know, watching a live stream of Holy Mass at home with your family, just remember, Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The kingdom of God is among you. And remember, too, that the Catholic Church suffered for persecution for centuries what the Holy Mass offered in secret. The priests in the catacombs with no altars upon which to offer the sacrifice celebrated the Mass on the tombs of those who had died for the faith. And how did they handle it? Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. You know, we preserve those catacombs so that we'll remember because it's the doom of men that they forget. And that's why the forces of evil are so desirous to erase the past and tear down statues and destroy the monuments of Western civilization, even images of Jesus and Mary and the saints. Because at its core, Western civilization is Christian civilization, and it's Christ that they hate. And what if they succeed? What if they tear it all down? Well, statues and images are symbols. They're symbols of courage and humility and holiness and other admirable qualities, but they're only symbols. And it's diabolical thinking that destroying the symbol is the same as destroying the reality. Consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Are you not more important than they? Do not be afraid. Our Heavenly Father knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Don't let your worries about tomorrow negatively affect your relationship with God today. And that's the simple message. Worrying does no one any good. And even if changing your circumstances is impossible, it is still always possible to change yourself for the better. The will of God for your life is holiness, and that is available to everyone, regardless of circumstances, and that's no nonsense. Back with finding joy and spiritual peace in the time of COVID-19 when we return right after this.
we got Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest, I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, man, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You That's know, right. If God gave us a lot, you know, and I'm, I have the blessing of listening to all this. I just want to call all the people. You know, I've got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money, and I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We gotta. We have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Kneeling for communion, saying your rosary, saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. 30 years old, 29 years old, five kids, and I thank you guys. But everybody else, man, get on fire. Fight for the truth, man. I know what I'm telling you guys. There's I no love it. out there. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith, hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end. And God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of his Son. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, your internet home for Keep It Simple Catholicism. Matthew Arnold for VMPR. I've been talking uh, for some weeks now about finding joy and experiencing peace during these unprecedented times. And they are unprecedented. I mean, sure, you can go back to the Middle Ages and find times of tribulations not entirely like our own, uh, not entirely unlike our own, I should say. The Black Plague was an international pandemic, and it wiped out half the population of Europe starting in the 1340s. Um, and it lasted for, for years. You know, it, it wasn't until the early 16th century that the European population you know, uh, began to reach pre-plague levels again. Now, I saw an article the other day on the Alatea website from a Father Patrick Briscoe, and as always, the link for this will be in the show notes. But he wrote, and I quote, The Black Death no doubt led to great political unrest. The Holy Roman Empire was in decline. One interregnum, that's the period between emperors, lasted 67 years. The empire weakened, peasants began to revolt against their lords. No longer did the three estates, those who work, those who pray, and those who fight, which is to say the, the commoners, the clergy, and the nobility, no longer did the three estates coexist in harmonious service to God and the common good. The peasants felt the burdens of heavy taxation and absentee government. They responded with riots. Sounds familiar, right? But there's more. 
Today, certain personalities within the church sow discord as they undermine the confidence that laity should have in their bishops' governing and teaching. This is Father Briscoe uh, criticizing the traditionalists, and especially Sedevacantists, who think that you know there's been no valid pope since Pius XII. He says, These facets of Internet Catholicism call to mind the Western Schism, when three men were concurrently claiming to be pope and excommunicating each other. This calamitous state of affairs lasted a jaw-dropping 39 years. That was th- or this was the 14th century, and this is the litany of its evils, which are not so different from our own, unquote. Now, Father goes on to talk about the medieval saints that uh, were raised up by God to help the situation. My question is, where's our army of saints today? And more to the point, in his comparison, you know, he compares COVID-19 to the Black Plague. But, you know, the Black Plague really did change everything in the 14th century because of the turmoil that was caused by the death of half of the entire European population. Whereas COVID-19 has yet to claim as many lives as this year's seasonal flu. You know, considerably more people die from accidents, simple accidents in the home than COVID-19. It is government's wildly disproportionate, their unprecedented reaction to the virus, which is essentially it's outright fear-mongering, that has caused worldwide economic depression, mass alienation, civil rest, and all the rest of the litany of evil that we are experiencing. But the fact that this is primarily a self-inflicted wound, I mean, I think Phil Lawler the other day described it as a cultural suicide attempt, it's still not a cause for us to lose our joy in Christ. I saw another article um, called Five Bible Verses to Help You Find Joy by Rick Hamlin. And I'll have the URL for that up as well. And it got me thinking. Um, The verses that he shared resonated with me, and I want to share them with you along with my commentary, naturally, uh, in hopes that they'll resonate with you also. And first, just a little bit of context. When These are all um, passages from the letter to the Philippians. And when St. Paul wrote that letter uh, in 61 AD, he was uh, imprisoned. And he and his companions had founded the church at Philippi uh, on his second missionary journey that you can read about in Acts chapter 16. And the community in Philippi was the first Christian church established on the European continent. I mean, that alone makes this letter important, considering the fact that uh, in our day, you know, all the world's ills are being blamed on the European church. Uh, you know, and uh, European Christians and their and their uh, their descendants. And Paul was uh, writing to thank this European church for their generosity and to encourage them in their faith. And there's several themes in his letter: uh, gratitude, and humility, self-sacrifice, unity, but especially for our purposes, joy. And the truth that believers can experience profound peace and joy regardless of their circumstances, because of the peace that comes not from the world, but from Christ. And so Catholic Christians, and that's you and I, can experience joy even in the time of COVID-19, because our joy does not depend on outward circumstances, but inward strength, and namely the the inward strength of, of Christ within us like we were talking about in the uh, first segment. So I'd like to look at these few verses from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians that seem especially relevant to our current situation. Now, you're going to know the first one, very famous. It's from Philippians 
chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. You know, when you remember that St. Paul was in prison at this time, though he, that he was deprived of his personal freedom, he gives those words I can, uh, a special power in our current situation. Because his attitude is an important example for us to follow. That like him, our inner, inner attitude need not reflect our outward circumstances. Let that sink in. St. Paul was full of joy even in prison because he knew that no matter what happened, Jesus Christ was with him. And he urges the Philippians to be joyful several times in this letter. And I suspect it was something that they needed to hear, just like you and I do today. And if we're not feeling joyful lately, it may be that we're not looking at things from the right perspective. And what is the right perspective? That's ultimate joy comes from Christ dwelling within us and that we will experience that joy in its fullness only when we see Christ to face, uh, Christ face to face. So rejoice in the Lord always. The next is uh, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. St. Paul writes, I thank my God for you every time I think of you and every time I pray for you all, I pray with joy. Now, this is actually the first instance of the uh, many times that St. Paul uses the word joy in this letter. And when he prayed for the Philippians, it says he remembered them with joy. So a couple of things to take away from this. Number one, what does Paul do when he gets stuck? He prays and he prays for others and he prays with joy. And I imagine the kindness of the Philippian church was a cause for Paul to remember them with joy and gratitude when he prayed for them because they helped him, and when they helped him, um, they were helping the church. They were helping the cause of Christ. And no doubt that was a, you know, they were happy to be used for God's purpose. But I wonder how many, you know, when people think about you and me, (laughs) what comes to their mind? You know, do people think of me with joy? Have they been lifted up by my acts of kindness? Certainly some food for thought there, and that's no nonsense. Uh, Next up is a famous passage of praise from St. Paul. This is from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness. And found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, These verses comprise one of, if not, you know, uh, just simply uh, my favorite of the New Testament canticles in the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, It makes my heart swell every time uh, it comes around, every time I pray this canticle. And, you know, I I like it so much, I made a meme out of it. You know, if you go to uh, our Virgin Most Powerful Facebook page and look through the photos, you'll find... Uh, this this canticle with an image of our Lord because I just I love it so much. Um, I think you know part of the reason my heart swells when I read it is because it's it's arranged in the uh, in the liturgy of the hours in kind of in verse form, and it 
ends, Jesus Christ is Lord, all caps with an exclamation point, you know. Um, and it, it is, of course, you know, the word canticle means song. And some scripture scholars would maintain that these verses comprise a hymn that was sung by, uh, at Mass by the early Christians. Now, <clears throat> that's not to say that St. Paul was not its original author, but, you know, it, it may pre-exist the letter. In any event, you know, it's not an exhaustive theological treatise, but it follows the suffering servant prophecy of Isaiah 53. Right? That's what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading when, when St. Philip came along and explained to him. And, and I think this is probably how he did it, because it, it praises several of the key characteristics of our Lord, um, that Christ always existed with God the Father, that Christ is equal to God because he is God, that though Christ is God, uh, he became man in order to fulfill the divine plan of salvation, that Christ did not just have the appearance of being a man, he actually became human in order to identify with our sins that Christ voluntarily laid aside his divine rights and privileges out of love and obedience to the Father, that Christ died on the Holy Cross for our redemption so that we might not face eternal death, and God glorified Christ for his obedience and raised Christ to his original position at his right hand where he will reign forever as king and judge. Now that's some song. you know, And it's no wonder that Paul could sing it from jail with joy. I said before, you can often say more uh, and in, in a more comprehensible way in just a few lines of poetry than you can in the most comprehensive uh, prose. But when you think about the words of this canticle, how can you do anything but praise Christ, regardless of your circumstances? Now, uh, let's see. The next one is from Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And again, I'm, I'm kind of skipping around in Bible versions here. This one's from Contemporary English Version kind of shake things up. He says, I'm not complaining about having too little. I've learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. I know what it is to be poor or to have plenty, and I have lived under all kinds of conditions. I know what it means to be full or to be hungry, to have too much or too little. Christ gives me the strength to face anything. Christ gives me the strength to face anything. That is probably more familiar to you in its more classic translation. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Right? Philippians 4, 13. So Paul knew how to be content regardless of his circumstances because he knew how to um, draw strength not on himself but on Christ and his power. And that is the secret of peace. When you have needs or simply you know, have, don't have what you want, you learn to rely on God's promises and Christ's power to help you to be content. Uh, there's, you know, the, in the act of faith. Oh my God, I trust in thee because thou art kind, merciful, and faithful to thy promises. If you're always wanting more, you know, you ask God to remove that desire and teach you to be content. Teach you contentment in every circumstance. That's what Jesus was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount. That God will supply your needs, but in the way that's best for you. You know, there's an old saying, ask for you want, or ask for what you want, but be willing to take what God gives you because it might turn out to be better than what you asked for. And that's no nonsense. All right, more about finding joy and peace in Philippians and St. Lawrence and the Holy Grail when we return with more no-nonsense Catholic right after this.
Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code BMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com code BMPR live porn free. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Words from St. Paul from the letter to the Philippians. Welcome back. Matthew Arnold here for Virgin Most Powerful Radio, no-nonsense Catholic, your internet home for keep it simple Catholicism. We're talking about finding peace and spiritual joy in Christ, and especially as... um, taught us by St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Paul's in jail, and yet he can be happy because he could see things from God's point of view, which is to say that he focused on what he should do and not on what he thought he should have. Paul had his priorities straight and could therefore be grateful for everything that, uh, that God had given him. And this is the great source of detachment. All the saints have in common that they detach themselves from what is non-essential so they can concentrate on the eternal. And it is, it's a spiritual axiom that the desire for more possessions, for creatures and creature comforts, reveals a longing to fill an empty place in your life. And that's the question I have to ask myself, to what am I drawn when I feel empty inside? Where do I go looking for peace and contentment? More importantly, where can I actually find peace and contentment? And the answer lies in my perspective, my priorities, and my source of power. 
Paul says in, in uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. But can we do everything? Can I really do anything that I set my mind to? I mean, that's, that's optimism. That's the power of positive thinking. And there's something to be said for it. But I do not think that that is quite what Paul means. It's rather he's saying that the power we receive being united with Christ and his grace, especially through the sacraments, is sufficient to do his will and face the challenges that arise from being his followers. That Christ gives me the strength to face anything. And then the, the last verse I want to share is Philippians 4, 8. And this is another one that you will almost certainly be familiar with and uh, another of my favorites. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there's any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, what we put into our minds uh, determines what comes out in our words and our actions. And you look at St. Paul's list of what we should be thinking about, whatever is true and honorable, pure, gracious, excellent, praiseworthy. Let me ask you a question. How well does that describe the content of what you've read so far on the internet today? Or what you watched on television last night? It goes without saying that you should avoid uh, the obscene and the pornographic. But how much good is the news feed on your smartphone really doing you? You know, you know, I mean, we're all grown-ups here. You know that it's not simply intended to keep you informed. They want you hooked. And so, you know, that stuff that's coming out of the news feed is intended to steal your peace by keeping you angry or afraid or both. And that's why it's so important to have a routine of prayer. If, if you're going to be addicted to social media, then you certainly have to have a, a, a habit of prayer, a rule of life, if you will. And it's something we actually have in common with the Middle Ages. We were talking about that before. Well, this is something that we, that we really share with them. You know, if you begin the day with the morning prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours and then continue to pray throughout the rest of the day, not, not just the, the rest of the Divine Office, but private prayers and devotions and ejaculations as well. Spiritual reading and encountering the Scripture. See, God's peace is different than the world's peace. It's not just the absence of conflict and, and you don't, can't find it in positive thinking or good feelings. The peace, the peace which Christ gives comes from knowing that God is in control and accepting everything that happens to us as coming from the hand of a loving Father. That is what uh, Jesus calls in the Beatitudes poverty of spirit. Christ's peace comes from the grace of baptism that made you a child of God, uh, a, a brother or sister of Christ, an heir to the kingdom with a right to heaven. Now, maintaining that exalted status by remaining in a state of grace is what really matters. That's why Terry and Jesse end every one of their shows. What state should we live in? The state of grace. What state should we not be living in? The state of mortal sin, right? We need to maintain the state of grace. That's why I started this day with the ancient and biblical prayers of the Liturgy of the Hours. The news feed can wait 
the good news cannot. And that's no nonsense. All right. Um, I said that we were going to talk about one of the great saints of the month of August. And August is a, is a terrific month. We, um, let's see, we have just yesterday it was the Feast of St. Philomena. The 15th, of course, is the Feast of the Assumption. Um, the 20th coming up, and we're going to be talking about this probably in the next couple of episodes, uh, the Feast of the Great Doctor of the Church, Last of the Fathers, uh, my personal hero, St. <laughs> Bernard of Clairvaux. His feast day is on the 20th of August. So yes, you can expect I'm going to be calling DoorDash for a special feast on the 20th. But also, uh, just this past Monday was the 10th of August, and that was the feast of St. Lawrence. Now, he's one of the great saints of August. He was martyred under Roman persecution back in the 3rd century. Uh, Let's see. He and St. Bernard, by the way, are both connected to um, our next topic, which is uh, the, the, the great Christian relic, the Chalice of the Last Supper, better known as the Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail, of course, was made famous through the, uh, the Arthurian stories of, of Sir Galahad and the quest of the Holy Grail. And it's interesting because the quest of the Holy Grail, despite its Arthurian se- uh, setting, is not a romance per se. It is, in fact, a spiritual fable or uh, an allegory, as so much of medieval literature is. I mean, it's been rightly said that with uh, medieval literature, what you see is not what you get. And it's funny that so many people have uh, uh, studied Chaucer and failed to see the, um, the allegorical uh, understrata that goes throughout the whole thing. And, and it's particularly funny because um, I think a lot of people, they, they want him to be atypical because the Canterbury Tales, uh, you know, the greatest of Chaucer's works uh, in English, so beautifully kind of cover the whole human experience, almost like the whole corpus of Shakespeare does, that he manages to do that in a single work. And they're saying it's, it's so very modern, and it's not medieval at all. But of course, it's, it's very medieval, in fact. And the other thing is, that there, there's, to my knowledge, there is not a single scholarly annotated uh, edition of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales that includes the final tale, which is the Parson's Tale which is the, the one that, that ties it all together and puts everything that's come before it into this Christian framework. And you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, yeah, Chaucer, he was a rebel, but, but uh, that last, that, that, he had to do that. So we're not, we're not going to, you know, there's nothing to see here. We're not going to look at that. You know, medieval literature um, tended to be highly allegoric. And of course, uh, the, the whole culture from which it sprung was Catholic. And that's why... Uh, you know, I, I scholars believe that the Quest of the Holy Grail was written by a anonymous Cistercian monk as a popular way to illustrate St. Bernard of Clairvaux's um, spirituality of grace and mystical union with God, um, in essence, an allegorical version of his uh, great work, The Steps of Pride and Humility. And so it's a step-by-step illustration of the quest for Christian perfection what Vatican II called the universal call to holiness, right? The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Um, but we get to the story of the Holy Grail, and we find that the old English word grail literally means uh, a vessel that's used in a meal of several courses. Grail is actually English for the Latin word gradale, which means by degrees or step by step. 
where we get the modern English word gradual. Uh, in the traditional Latin Mass, there's a prayer called the gradual, which goes between the epistle and the gospel, which is you know analogous to the gospel acclamation in the Novus Ordo. And in the old days, uh, the gospel procession from the sanctuary to the pulpit, right, the deacon uh, going up the steps would sing the gradual. So it all ties together. This, this chalice is a symbol of spiritual journey that's made by degrees, right? That's what the, the grail is. Now, according to P.M. Matarasso, who translated and annotated the English version of the Quest of the Holy Grail, that is available now from Penguin Classics, by the way, if you're interested uh, in this sort of thing, she said, the grail itself is the symbol of God's grace. At once the dish of the Last Supper, the vessel which received the effusion of Christ's blood when his side was pierced, and in the text, both chalice and ciborium. Its secrets are the mystery of the Eucharist unveiled. So then, are the stories of the Holy Grail just bias fiction? Is it just, just a spiritual allegory? Not hardly. There's no reason to think that the cup of the Last Supper, the actual cup of, that Jesus used to consecrate his precious blood in the first Mass, no reason to think that cup would not be preserved. In fact, quite the contrary. And there are scholars around the world that are convinced that the Holy Grail currently resides in the Cathedral of Valencia in Spain. So how did the Holy Grail wind up in Spain? And that is where St. Lawrence comes in. You know, it's believed that the, the Grail was sent to Spain from Rome by St. Lawrence all the way back in the 3rd century. And it's the subject of a great book called uh, St. Lawrence and the Holy Grail, The Story of the Holy Chalice of Valencia, that was written by a gal named Janice Bennett, who was a scholar uh, with the Spanish Center for Syndenology. Wrote it back in 2004. Syndenology is the study of the Shroud of Turin. And she was actually in Spain looking up another matter when she ran across uh, an amazing discovery. Now, scholars have known the story that I'm going to tell you in the next segment for a long time. But what makes her book so interesting is she found this new documentary evidence in the form of a 6th century manuscript written by St. Donato, an Augustinian monk who founded a monastery near Valencia and tells us the true story of St. Lawrence and the Holy Grail. More when we come back, lots more no-nonsense Catholicism. Stick with us. We shall return right after these messages. The Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and volunteers, is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the help of the helpless benefactors, the children are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help children thrive and become self-sufficient young adults leading productive lives. We also provide aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical assistance, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's. In Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877 762 
888-888-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. Leviticus 11.44 says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. St. Vincent Pilati said, You must be holy in the way God asks you to be holy. God does not ask you to be a Trappist monk or a hermit. He wants you to sanctify the world and your everyday life. May God show us the path to holiness and help us to follow it all the days of our life. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Matthew Arnold here. And before we went to the break, I was talking about St. Lawrence, one of the great saints of the month of August. We just celebrated his feast day on the 10th. Uh, St. Lawrence and the Holy Grail. And uh, the book, St. Lawrence and the Holy Grail, a story of the Holy Chalice of Valencia, and how scholars believe that the actual cup of Jesus Christ is in the Cathedral of Valencia, and how Janice Bennett actually found some new documentary evidence, which provides some, uh, at the time, never-before-published details about St. Lawrence, who was born in Spain, but who went to Italy, where he would become the treasurer and the deacon of the Church of Rome under Pope Sixtus II. And that letter explicitly mentions the details surrounding the transfer of the Holy Chalice of the Last Supper to Spain from Rome in the year 260 A.D. And here's the story. The cup used by Jesus Christ at the Last Supper to institute the Eucharist was not forgotten after his death. We know from Scripture that the disciples met several times afterwards in that very upper room. And after the resurrection, when St. Peter went to Rome, the Holy Grail went with him. You know, just an aside, I was thinking about this, how the Grail is one of the great relics of Christendom, as is the Holy Shroud of Turin. And the Grail was given into the keeping of St. Peter, right, to whom Christ said, feed my lambs and feed my sheep. And uh, the Shroud, that image, uh, was given to St. James, the brother of the Lord, right, his his cousin, uh, literally, and... You know, these are these these two great relics, and and they are two of that his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And but what about John? And then, of course, it hit me, and uh, with a nice set of chills at the same time, that John was given um, the Blessed Virgin to care for. Right. So there's that, and and, and those th- three things are all related. Anyway, uh, so Peter takes the Grail to Rome, and for nearly you know two and a half centuries. Uh, we have the clear indication that St. Peter and his first successors actually used the Chalice of the Last Supper to celebrate Holy Mass in Rome. In fact, we have documentary evidence uh, that, you know, is right there in plain sight. It's the um, ancient Roman canon. 
the canon of the traditional Latin Mass, which is today uh, Eucharistic prayer number one, right, in the, in the new liturgy. Uh, according to Father Michael Mueller, he says, Latin was the language used by St. Peter when he first said Mass at Rome. It was the language in which that Prince of the Apostles drew up the liturgy, which is why St. Peter took Mark the Evangelist with him to Rome. Because Mark was a Roman citizen and acted as his interpreter and secretary, as we know from Papias and Irenaeus, Eusebius at all. And the form of consecration in the traditional Latin canon has been fixed since apostolic times. And that's according to Pope Innocent III. He said, in truth, the apostles received the form of the words from Christ himself, and the church received it from the apostles themselves. Council of Trent also confirms that the Latin canon is apostolic. For our purposes, it certainly goes back to the third century. Why is that important? Because the Roman canon is unique amongst all the ancient liturgies. All of the Eastern Catholic liturgies say, like the scriptures, then he took the cup, or taking the chalice. The ancient Roman canon alone says, Achipiens et hunc preclarum calicem. Then he took this goodly chalice. Not the chalice, this chalice. Why? Because for the better part of the first three centuries of the Christian era, the popes in Rome celebrated Holy Mass with the very cup that Christ used at the Last Supper. So how did it get to Spain? Well, history records that uh, shortly before his death under the persecution of Emperor Valerian, Pope Sixtus II was ordered to hand over the treasures of the church to the Roman Empire. Instead, he instructed his deacon, St. Lawrence, to take the material goods of the church and distribute them among the poor rather than give them up to the Romans. And this Lawrence did. And on the day appointed by the emperor to surrender the church's material goods, St. Lawrence arrived instead with the poor of the city and said to the emperor, these are the treasures of the church. Valerian, as you might expect, was not amused. And St. Lawrence was martyred, as we know, by being roasted on a gridiron. Uh, And he became uh, the patron saint of comedians, as uh, (laughs) you might know, because he told his executioners, you can turn me over now, I'm done on this side. But before his martyrdom, he sent the Eucharistic chalice to his native town of Huesca in Spain, accompanied by a letter for his parents. He gave it to a a Spanish, um, or a Roman soldier of uh, Spanish descent, a Spanish uh, centurion or soldier, right? A Roman army. Unfortunately, that the letter that he gave to him, which is the most definitive documentary evidence, was lost. But it is attested to in a 12th century document from the canon of Zaragoza, in a 14th century letter uh, of King Martin V of Aragon, and in this recently discovered 6th century letter of St. Donato. So within just a couple of hundred years of the original writing. Now, the cup itself, and I'm sorry that I, you know... I. I know the majority of people that uh, encounter this podcast do so on, uh, um, po- you know, audio only. And uh, so I don't, have, I don't have a picture to show you. But uh, the cup itself is, is just a semi-spherical cup, kind of like a Chinese teacup with no handles on it. About three and a half inches in diameter, made out of dark red agate. Now, back in the Middle Ages, uh, a base was joined to the cup by a gold stem, so it kind of looks more like a typical liturgical chalice. It was encrusted with 27 pearls and two rubies and two emeralds. Uh, but the original upper cup 
uh, of the Holy Grail is precisely what you would expect to find on a well-to-do man's table in first century Jerusalem. And archaeological studies reveal the cup was likely made in Palestine between the 4th century B.C. and the 1st century A.D. So there is zero scientific impediment to the cup in Valencia being the one that Jesus used at the Last Supper. So what happens after the grail leaves Rome? Now, I give a whole talk on this, and I do have lots of pictures and stuff, but uh, just in a thumbnail, it was hidden at St. Lawrence's humble uh, family farm for almost three centuries. In 553, it was moved to the new cathedral in Huesca. In 712, of course, the Muslim invasion of Spain caused the grail to be relocated to the southern Pyrenees. And it passed through several different chapels and churches and religious communities and finally wound up in the fortress-like monastery of San Juan de la Peña, someplace that I hope to visit before uh, I shuffle off this mortal coil. It was taken there in the early 12th century. Ultimately, it found its way through the hands of the King of Aragon to the cathedral in Valencia, where it has resided ever since, except when it was hidden from the communists in the 1930s during the Spanish Civil War and then again from the Nazis in the 1940s. Uh, because in, in both cases, the, the communists wanted to destroy it and the Nazis wanted to use it for their you know, occult rituals. Then in the year 1959, which was the year that I was born, and also the year in which the decision to hold the Second Vatican Council was announced, um, the Holy See was presented with the results of an historical and scientific investigation on the Holy Grail, or the Santo Caliz, as the Spanish call it. And Pope St. John XXIII signed a document granting an indulgence to pilgrims that visit the Cathedral of Valencia in order to venerate the Holy Grail. Well, what does that mean? That means that we now have the testimony of the highest authority in the Catholic Church, the Roman pontiff himself, that the chalice in Valencia may, with pious faith, be venerated as the authentic chalice of the Last Supper the true Holy Grail. And you might be interested to know that uh, both Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XV um, were honored to celebrate Mass with that Holy Grail. And we owe it all to St. Lawrence. (laughs) And that's no nonsense. Now next week, we are going to talk about the great St. Bernard of Clairvaux and how developing a sense of awe can help you to be upbeat and optimistic and confident, even in our present circumstances and whatever comes next. And, and to, that, uh, to that end, I want to just share, before we go, this is a bleak time, no question. And, and you know, we, we so appreciate all of the, uh, all the help that you give us, your, your prayerful and financial support, especially. Um, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are listening on iTunes, and so if you've discovered us there, please go to vmpr.org and you can find our uh, links to all our social media and everything. Please share this stuff around and, and, and like it on whatever platform you're listening on because that'll be a big help and we appreciate it. But this is, this is a bleak time. Not only everything that's going on with the COVID and that, but uh, also, and perhaps especially, because of the, uh, well, frankly, the apostasy of so many in the church herself. And I recall... Uh, some years ago, Cardinal George, Cardinal Francis George of Chicago, of happy memory, delivered a prophecy of sorts, although he didn't consider it one. He was speaking to a group of priests, and he expressed rather dramatically 
what the complete secularization of our society would bring. I quote, he said, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison. And his successor will die a martyr in the public square. But, he said, his successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. Reminds me of the words of St. Hilary of Poitiers, who died in the, in the 300s during the Arian crisis. He said, it is a prerogative of the church that she is the vanquisher when she is persecuted, that she captures our intellects when her doctrines are questioned, that she conquers all at the very moment when she is abandoned by all. You know, I've spent uh, a lot of the last seven or eight years, oh gosh, it's been longer than that, holy smoke, 10, 12, (laughs) yikes, okay, I've spent uh, more than a decade now traveling around the country and the world, promoting devotion to the Blessed Virgin under her title, Our Lady of Good Success. And she talks about uh, these, you know, the crisis of of faith and morals in our own day. And she tells us that, uh, that it's devotion to her that, uh, that will bring about the happy restoration of the church in the world. And so remember to pray the rosary every day. You don't need any special permission. You don't need any special equipment. Uh, you know, we can go to the app and, and pray right along with me and Jesse Romero and, uh, and uh, Terry Barber, uh, if you like. Pray with your family and, you know, pray and hope. And as our Lord said, and... Uh, Padre Pio quoted so often, don't worry. All right, I'm Matthew Arnold for uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. It was terrific being with you, and I looked so much forward to the next couple of episodes because we're going to be talking about my favorite saint, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He was the beacon of light in a dark time, and boy, do we need that now. So lots of good stuff to share that I think will be very much applicable to your own life. And in the meantime, um, thanks once again for all of your support. Make sure to hit like and share uh, and subscribe to everything that you can subscribe to. Go to dmpr.org. Until then, may God richly bless you and your family. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were open to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever, especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church, so I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.